Hi, everyone, and welcome to the February 19th, 2021 episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. I'm your host, Greg Layson, the digital and mobile editor here at Automotive News Canada. LiDAR. It has become a linchpin technology for the development of autonomous vehicles. And there's a company in Canada that's clearly on the radar of automakers. But this company from Quebec City makes more than just LiDAR. The head of the Automotive Parts Manufacturers Association once said, quote, Everything that you and I think is cool in vehicles, LetterTech does it, end quote. Today, we'll find out exactly what LetterTech does, where it's going, and how it plans to get there. When I speak with its chief operating officer, Mr. Franz Santalami, on this episode of Canada Conversations. Franz, thanks for joining me on the podcast this week. Thank you for having me, Greg. My pleasure. Let's start here. LetterTech began as a LiDAR company, but it is much more than that now. Um, just introduce our audience to all of what it is that LetterTech does now, as opposed to just being a LiDAR company. Absolutely. It is true that LiDAR is our heritage, but um, we've, we're now delivering essentially what we call um, you know, full-stack sensing platform that enables uh, advanced uh, uh, driver assistance or full autonomy. What we supply are raw data fusion and perception stacks that is necessary to build the ADAS and AAB systems. Or um, LiDAR measurement software, which is also important if you want to be able to use the LiDAR and detect objects and classify them. And then we've also gone as far as building uh, components uh, to make solid-state LiDARs a reality at low cost. So these are signal acquisition uh, SOCs, semiconductors, as well as a solid-state scanning device, which enables pure digital LiDARs. And so these are important because as to, for them to become pervasive in, in automotive, you need to be able to build LiDARs at sub, one, sub $500, then eventually at sub $300, then eventually at $100. And those components, we're using Moore's Law as a, at our advantage, basically being able to use off-the-shelf semiconductors that are used in cell phones, for example, or in, in automotives today, to scale down the cost and in, the performance via software. There was a um, public. There was an article in our sibling publication, Automotive News, out of Detroit, um, suggesting that there are actually too many lidar companies and not enough automakers to go around. LetterTech wasn't mentioned or quoted in that Automotive News article. Uh, first, I wonder how you feel about that, and, and second, where do you see LetterTech sort of in the proverbial pecking order among lidar companies and tech companies? What sets letter tech apart from others right now uh, yeah so first of all we don't absolutely we don't feel uh slighted about it or anything uh along those lines because our technologies we are letter tech inside so you wouldn't see us as a, a as a lidar supplier to automotive our customers are our customers are the likes of of uh, osram or the likes of Aptiv or Morelli or Conti and so forth. So our technologies get integrated into a platform that the tier ones delivered to the OEM. And the second part of it is we provide enabling technologies. Um, so we make it easy for anyone to use our technologies. And, and therefore, we expect that, um, you know, you wouldn't see us um, in the market. Now, 
That does not mean that where our technologies aren't deployed. In fact, we probably believe that we're the most deployed um, uh, sensing company out there that, that people don't know about. Our technologies are being integrated today for 2023, 24, and 25 uh, vehicle models that will go into volume um, based on our raw data fusion uh, sensor software, as well as our, our LiDAR components. So could you paint me a picture? How competitive is this market right now? And I guess the follow-up to that would be how important is it to diversify and expand beyond just LiDAR sensing? Can you just tell me what it's like in this market, in this segment right now? That's a great question. So the whole there's a lot of noise around LiDAR, but the whole industry today is, is largely in the passenger vehicle space. It's all camera and radar based, and it's going to be the biggest portion of the market for at least the next decade. And so we are what we call uh, level one and level two and eventually level two plus. But these are camera radar based solutions. And so the volume that's being deployed, it's all around these solutions. So, so uh, letter tech, that's what we supply. We supply fusion uh, perception stack to enable OEMs and tier ones to augment their existing systems to meet the safety regulations that are around either Euro NCAP or the general safety regulations that are coming in, in 2022. And to do that, there are two ways you can do that. You can add more hardware, so more cameras, more radars, which the industry is doing. And then, or you can make the existing camera radar systems more uh, uh, performance or improve their performance. And, and and so we use software to actually be able to augment the resolution, augment the perception and classification of these systems. So you're right. It is important to be able to play in that space because we believe that LiDAR, although the industry is going to need LiDAR, but that's 2025 at the earliest. And in 2025, you're not talking about millions of units. You're talking about a gradual evolution uh, where vehicles are including LiDAR, but we feel that the real volume is going to come after 2025 for LiDAR. Today, most systems are trying, most car manufacturers are trying to address the safety uh, requirements with camera and radar, and that's what we enable. Let's talk about today in the moment right now. Um, How has the pandemic affected uh, letter text progress. And I ask because we've heard that automaker investment in autonomous research might be scaled back a little bit due to a financial crunch caused by the pandemic. I just wonder, um, is that true and, and how the pandemic has affected letter tech specifically? All right. Um, so in a nutshell, the pandemic um, did have an effect where for at least the first six months, everybody was on hold. There's no question about it. Everyone took a pause. Um, Anyone that was doing uh, AD and, and ADAS uh, around uh, research around LIDAR put everything on hold. But since the, uh, let's say, the fall 2020, we've seen a resurgence in everyone basically wanting to accelerate um, not just AD, but also accelerate level two and level two plus ADAS systems. And that really um, we has been... Uh, call it a godsend for letter tech because we've always believed that the industry needed to go into step functions, so from level two to level two, uh, three, and, and four. And, and so what we are seeing is 
acceleration of the level two and level two plus because the industry has realized that it needs to have better systems uh, that are more safe. And to do that, you need better software. You need the this software in the loop or this continuous improvement. And so that has accelerated our, the number of customer engagements. Some of the most well-known OEM brands out there to the most well-known tier ones and tier two suppliers are are accelerating their development with LetterTech. So if anything, we've seen more customer engagement than we've seen prior to the pandemic. I assume, and maybe I'm wrong, that's always possible, but most tech work um, such as LiDAR and, and such as the sensing systems and camera work is done in places like Israel and Silicon Valley, Kitchener-Waterloo here in Canada. LetterTech is based in Quebec. Does, does the... Does that present a challenge or an opportunity in the in, in the industry for LetterTech? Although yes, we are headquartered in Quebec City, but we do have offices in Toronto. We have uh, offices in Montreal, in in Tel Aviv, in uh, Austria, uh, Germany, and so we are a global company now, and we have people in uh, in, in in the U.S. in, in China. Uh, in France, in the UK, I mean, we're, we're really uh, a global company. Um, I think it's an advantage because if you think about it, the, the way the um, vehicle is architected today, um, software um, uh, is becoming a critical component. Actually, digital uh, technologies are becoming very important for the vehicle, uh, especially software. And uh, when we say software, we're talking about uh, perception, fusion, computer vision, AI, uh, neural net, deep learning, or machine learning. Uh, and we happen to have uh, one of the largest clusters, if not the largest clusters of researchers between you know, uh, the province of Quebec and the province of Ontario. And so in terms of talent, we're rich in, t- in talent. And the industry now is starting to realize, wow, Canada, especially the east coast of Canada, is uh, is a hotbed for uh, enabling uh, technology startups, and um, we, and then when specifically to Quebec, Quebec City, optics is becoming a key component in in passenger vehicles, mm-hmm. and yep. so the the uh, city of Quebec has had a rich history in the telecom because of optics, and now that optics is playing a, a big role in automotive. Well, guess what? We've got again world-class talent in the region. So I think over time, this is actually a massive advantage. And then you add the whole EV, electric vehicle, electrification. We're resource-rich as a country, and we have a lot of battery technologies and raw materials uh, that's really helping us. So you can see it now with the the work that the APM is doing, but also the investments that companies like Ford, GM, and others are making in this region because of talent competencies, access to infrastructure, as well as financing, and then more importantly, talent. Well, it's funny you mentioned that because, you know, Chevy just introduced the Bolt EUV um, on the weekend, and a, a big component of that was the Super Cruise, and that was developed basically by Canadians, or at least in Canada, in the greater Toronto region. So Canadians can clearly develop software. Do you see... Canada being stronger in software development than it is currently in manufacturing moving forward? Do they work hand in hand? I just wonder if we need to maintain the manufacturing footprint 
um, to also start up and maintain the software footprint? Can they live together or uh, without each other? I just wonder how they work hand in hand. They are necessary. I mean, the whole EV system cannot function without great software. But also, we tend to forget the most deployed operating system in automotive vehicle is Canadian. It's coming from BlackBerry. QNX. QNX that's right. And, and so, so we've, we have a strong, strong ecosystem of software developers, but also our strength in manufacturing um, we're not talking about the traditional manufacturing. We're talking about, you know, our strength in manufacturing key components that are necessary to enable the growth of electric vehicles, to enable the growth of advanced autonomous systems. Um, we're well, well positioned. And that requires both hardware and software expertise. And I think abandoning our hardware or manufacturing uh, would be a mistake. I think, if anything, it will augment uh, the more capability we build on the software side, the more valuable our hardware will become. I'm curious, uh, how has LetterTech been affected by the global microchip shortage? Is that something um, companies in this field are dealing with, or is this more at a manufacturing automaker level? No, it affects everyone. In fact, you know, if our customers cannot continue the development because they have shortage, just have to shut down because they have shortages, it slows down deployment, it slows down uh, our proof of concepts or test vehicles and so forth. So it affects everyone. We're not as affected because we're not yet in the volume production uh, queue, but nevertheless, um, you know, this, this raises the importance of having local supply, distributed supply. I think as an industry, the automotive industry has, has gone uh, to somewhat of an extreme where it's gone through massive consolidation of the supply chain and, and to a point where now, um, you know, the semiconductor manufacturers are also have merged. And so diversity of supply becomes important. And companies like Lettertech, who are building SOCs, who are building software, um, we play an important role now because the industry is starting to realize that diversification is important. Building the next wave of champion suppliers that can rival an Intel, that can rival an NVIDIA is also important. Speaking of diversity, you recently joined the Board of Governors uh, at the Automotive Parts Manufacturers Association. You were one of a handful of tech execs to join that board. Why is that so important today to have that many people from technology companies on a board that represents more traditional auto suppliers who make things and stamp metal. Um, why is it important to have more tech on, on that board? Well, it's important to understand that the APMA has always had a, a rich tradition of innovation. Um, so it's not because the APMA we represent, um, I mean, our histories around manufacturing, but, but the, there's a rich history also of innovation and leveraging technology to be able to do more, to be more efficient, and to be more successful. That's the mindset at the APMA, is to bring together the brightest minds and the brightest of the industry to create a functioning and, and growing ecosystem. And technology is, is just part of it, but it's also innovation in the way we do things, innovation in policies, innovation in collaboration. And so I would say 
while the APMA may be known for its manufacturing, but the APMA as an association has been led by leaders that are very, very innovative, by a board of directors that is thinking of the future and not just of today. It's funny because I often say, and only half jokingly, and I'm probably not the only one that says it, but cars are just rolling computers these days. Am I right in saying that? Are vehicles today more computer than they are car, more software than horsepower? And where does it end up from here if that's the case? Uh, in, indeed. I mean, the the cars are super uh, computers, I might say. And I mean, they're super sophisticated. Uh, the traditional mechanical engineering that's required to repair or mechanical technicians is now you're talking about electronics and software technicians. You're talking about digital diagnostics. Uh, the cars are are, are yes, they're supercomputers on wheels. And at the same token, these supercomputers are becoming uh, more reliable. Our safety or depends on them. And, uh, and if anything, um, uh, the growth in terms of, of uh, electronics in the vehicle is just going to continue to accelerate simply because the vehicle um, it has to now uh, adhere to the standards of energy efficiency, of, of environmental, but also of safety. And to make a vehicle, the vehicle safer, they have to augment the human capacities. And to do that, you have to have more electronics on in them. Your CEO recently told La Press, and I'm quoting here, there will be cars adapted for sleeping and for working, uh, end quote. When do you think that might actually become the reality, that we are in an AV that allows us to attend a virtual board meeting and then take a nap on the way to, say, Toronto from Montreal? So, well, perhaps we should then split it into passenger cars for uh, you and I Mm -hmm. and what we call autonomous uh, mobility. And so robo-taxis are not sci-fi anymore. Robo-taxis are happening. Uh, Autonomous uh, buses, autonomous uh, vans, autonomous delivery vehicles, um, you know, uh, autonomous ground vehicles are a thing of reality, and we're starting to see the first deployments uh, this year, and we're going to continue to see accelerations over the coming years. Um, So I do feel that full autonomy anywhere in any condition, that's going to take several more decades, um, if not more. Um, But uh, geofenced autonomy or autonomy uh, uh, in specific situations, like, for example, a commercial uh, uh, vehicle that's doing highway driving for, you know, 50 to 60 kilometers before its next exit, it can be done in a platooning application where the driver or the operator can be, uh, you know, in a, in a central hub, just like Houston is controlling, you know, the, the space shuttle. Right. Um, so, so I do think that that is... Uh, uh, somewhere near because the commercial application of it uh, uh, justifies it. I mean, how many times you hear uh, trucking companies, they can't find drivers for long haul. Right. Um, so, so the cost of the autonomous system makes it that it's prohibitive today anyways to see it in the passenger cars combined with safety and regulations. However, for commercial applications, you will see those uh, coming soon in uh, not full autonomy, but autonomous functions 
that are in specific situations or full autonomy in geofenced areas or private areas. It's something like perhaps uh, an airport shuttle, an airport that has several different parking lots, I suppose, could deploy uh, autonomous vehicles to take people to and from the airport itself. Exactly. Or you you have this huge uh, factory or this huge college campus. These are dedicated routes, they're private routes or a theme park, for example. You don't need to have a full-time bus driver. You can have uh, these, uh, these autonomous low-speed shuttles. Or just like you have, in, whether it's the city of Toronto or Montreal, where you have dedicated lanes for higher capacity vehicles or buses or EV lanes, you will yep. have AV lanes as well. You can do that. And these are what I would call simpler use cases. They're known environments where we can actually digitally map those and, and have a more predictable environment for the vehicle. And the autonomous system can be trained to, to work very well in, in these conditions and these environments. Does operating and testing vehicles in those situations, is that necessary in order to get it right for the eventual deployment of passenger vehicles that drive themselves? Is that a good testing ground for the AV space? Absolutely. In fact, you know, there was, uh, I, I was telling a friend the other day, one of the reasons why companies like Mercedes or BMW or, or even Toyota, they did F1 was because F1 was a testing ground or proving ground for some of the most advanced technologies. And then eventually you find them into passenger cars, like, for example, anti-lock braking systems, active cooling, uh, active suspension. So a number of these functions, uh, you know, started in, in, um, in, in, in uh, F1 and then eventually Gave, find, found their way into the uh, uh, the passenger cars. So you need that for um, advanced driver systems or semi-autonomous as well as full autonomous systems. And eventually, you will have enough corner cases covered that it makes it safer to have multimodal applications. Before we go, I wanted to change gears just a bit and ask you about diversity in Canada's auto industry. You're a black man who's very successful, leads a very large global company, and you also founded a, a nonprofit incubator that supports underrepresented entrepreneurs in Montreal. Can you, for me, just assess or describe how Canada's auto industry is doing when it comes to diversity and representing people of color and visible minorities in the boardrooms, um, at the tables where decisions are made? Just how diverse is Canada's auto industry, or how much more diverse should it be? I'm just wondering what you see from your seat. Yeah, I mean, the, the workforce in the auto industry in, in Canada is very diverse. In fact, you have um, very, very much a diverse workforce that thinks about, you know, its employees first, and, and that actually fights for it, too. I mean, I, I represent the APME, after all. And so, um, I think where we need to do better is we need to make it easier for visible minorities um, to uh, access uh, the potential of, of growth that this industry represents for the country and, and the wealth generation or wealth creation possibilities that are around entrepreneurship. So, and that, in order to do that, the simplest way is to 
um, creates an environment that is that makes it easier to have models, champions, and and also to uh, um, you know um, provide access to easy financing uh, or easier mechanism to finance uh, projects. So what I do see is an industry that's got a, a strong desire to do things differently, to recognize that we can be better, more inclusive as an industry, more diverse. And I also see an industry that is that is uh, very much open uh, and willing to make the changes necessary. Um, you know, I'm a case in point. I'm a, I'm a clear example of what's good about the industry. You know, the moment that I ra raised the hand and said, "Hey, look, you know, I think we can do better." There are there are people that are that are of color that comes from different backgrounds and that that need access to better opportunities. Whether that's um, you know better opportunities in terms of entrepreneurship, but also in terms of professional uh, or developing their careers, becoming aspiring to to leadership positions or or governance or board level positions. So I do see that, and I also see a desire to work at the grassroots level. Um, so university or colleges, um, you know, internships. Uh, these were issues that that uh, when we we did field surveys that that you know uh, young students didn't weren't as attracted to the tech industry, especially the auto tech, because when they looked, um, they didn't see a path where visible minorities had a real realistic shot at at, uh, at having success. And so the industry, and I'm I'm seeing this from GM, from Ford, but also from uh, tier ones like Magna who are making a concerted effort to reach out even to the younger generation. So I'm very optimistic that as an industry, there, there will be significant changes in the coming decade. Franz, excellent conversation. I appreciate your time. Thanks for joining me on the podcast. Thank you, Greg. We reached Franz at his office in Montreal. And if you want to be a guest on this show or have a suggestion, simply want to comment, email me at glason at autonews.com. And remember, you can listen to all our previous shows on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or on our website, automotivenews.ca. Just click the Canada Conversations button at the top of the homepage. That does it for this episode of Automotive News Canada Conversations. We hope you'll join us next time. So long, everybody.